God bless you, my beloved. Good morning. This is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord Christian Fellowship, coming to you with the second installment of our weekly program, The Truth of the Gospel, The Truth of the Gospel. Today is May, is it May 4th? Is it May 3rd? I can't remember. I believe it's, uh, I believe it's May 4th. It's May 3rd or May 4th. I don't remember. All right. Either way, let's see. It is May 3rd, Sunday, May 3rd. Okay. All right. So we're going to continue our teaching based on our previous study of 1 John. 1 John has five chapters. We studied, we walked with Jesus through 1 John. So now our follow-up teaching is how do we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? after studying first John, how do we grow in grace g-r-a-c-e god's riches at christ's expense how do we grow in grace and the knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ after studying first john all right let us pray father in the name of the lord jesus christ we bless you we thank you we praise you for the privilege of mentioning your name the name of your dear son jesus our lord and savior we thank you for your salvation which no other God could provide for us because all of the gods are idols. They're the wicked works of men's wicked hands and imaginations. But you, God, are the only true and living God. You are the father of the, the God of the prophets, the God of the patriarchs. You are the God of the holy apostles of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The son of God, the son of the living God, our savior, our redemption, our mediator, our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We thank you, Lord God. He is the perfect prophet. He is our great high priest. And Lord, he is king of kings and Lord of lords. We bless you and we praise you that you took him from being a victim to being the victor. From wearing a crown of thorns, he shall one day wear the crown of the king as he sits on his throne in glory. And as he rules over his kingdom, his eternal kingdom, we thank you that because of your grace, your mercy, your kindness, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light to be a part of that kingdom. We certainly are not a part of that kingdom because of anything that we've done, anything, any merit that we have, but because of your grace and your mercy, we ask that you take this teaching and this preaching and teaching and preaching all over the world. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, who is in the church and in the world, Lord, we pray that fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit will be manifested all over the world, Lord God. We pray that as we rush toward or move toward the end of the times of the Gentiles, we pray that more and more people would be saved and that uh, they would come to know your dear son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord, and thank you for those who will listen to this service, to this teaching, this preaching, Lord God. I pray that I will speak truth to them. I pray that they will receive the truth of the gospel, that they may be saved, or if they're already saved, that they might grow in grace and the knowledge of your dear son, Jesus, to whom be glory, power, majesty, kingdom, and dominion, both now and forever. Amen. All right, so here we go. Yep, today is May 3rd. I've got it written down right here. We grow in grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. 
We grow in grace when we realize and sincerely believe. Listen to that. We grow in grace when we realize and sincerely believe that Jesus defeated Satan at the cross. We grow in grace when we sincerely believe. We grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we sincerely believe, not just lip service, but when we sincerely believe that Jesus defeated Satan at the cross. But that defeat will not be totally manifested until Satan is forever banished to the eternal lake of fire. Let me say that again. Jesus defeated Satan at the cross. There are many scriptures that attest to that. Jesus defeated Satan at the cross. He triumphed over all principalities and powers, made an open show of them. But that defeat will not be totally manifested until Satan is forever, and he will one day. We don't know when, but it's, gonna, it's in the future. That defeat, that victory over Satan at Calvary's cruel cross will not be totally manifested until Satan is forever banished to the eternal lake of fire. I have a reference here in Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to read that to you. Let me say it one more time, then I'll read the Revelation passage. Jesus, we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when we sincerely believe that Jesus defeated Satan at the cross. Remember the cross? <laughs> yeah. When we sincerely realize and believe that Jesus defeated Satan at the cross, but that victory will not be totally manifested. I, I like to use the analogy of a, of, a, of a sporting event. One team can be ahead by 50, 60 points, but the game has to be played out. You can, you can, have, a 50, you can have a football team winning 49 to nothing, 49 to three, 56 to two, but the game still has to be played out until the clock runs out. So that's the best analogy I can think of. So to use that analogy, Satan has been defeated. He was defeated at the cross, but God is allowing the clock to play itself out. The Bible often talks about God having a fullness of time for things. Uh, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, Jesus, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem those of us, or to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So God has a fullness of time. And God's clock, God's fullness of time, and our fullness of time, the way we think, we, we think things should happen in a different fullness of time. But we can't hurry God. We can't push God around as much as we would like to. We can't push God around. We cannot intimidate God. So God has a fullness of time. Even though Satan was defeated at the cross, that defeat has not yet been totally manifested. We, we see evidence of it because the Bible, even after Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible still calls Satan the prince of this world. The Bible still calls Satan the ruler of the kingdom of darkness. The Bible still calls Satan uh, uh, the ruler of this world, uh, the the. John says in this very epistle, in this first epistle, he says the whole world is lying in the grip of the evil one. The evil one, of course, is Satan. So even though he was defeated at the cross, 
because God's fullness of time, if you, if you study the scriptures, the prophetic scriptures especially, God's fullness of time is still being played out. So Satan has been defeated. But God, for his own sovereign reason that we may not completely understand and he may not completely un explain because he doesn't have to explain everything to us, even though we, we, we think he owes us an explanation for everything, he doesn't. He saved us. We should be grateful for that. You can ask God any question you want to, but you're not going to always get an answer. Or, or you may not always get the answer when you want it. Or you may not always get the answer that you want or that you expect. So yes, Satan has been defeated at the cross. But God is still allowing Satan to, and, and, and his activity will increase, especially during the time of the tribulation. Uh, when, according to Revelation chapter 12, when Satan will be literally cast to the earth with his demons and he will literally indwell the Antichrist and all hell will break loose exponentially. And, uh, and that will be Satan's almost, not final, his, 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 his almost final uh, play. But I'm going to read to you Revelation chapter 20. And we're going to see that although Satan has been defeated, the defeat is not um, is, has not yet been consummated yet. So according to Revelation chapter 20, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, John says, who wrote the Revelation, John says, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss. Some Bibles would say the bottomless pit. And a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. You see that? John is writing this 65 years after the resurrection of Jesus. So again, Satan was defeated at the cross, but God is still allowing satanic activity on this earth for his own reason. Our responsibility is to resist that activity, resist the devil, right? And he'll flee from you. Uh, resist the devil, he comes as a roaring lion, he comes as a subtle snake, etc. So our, our responsibility is to become one with Jesus uh, in fellowship, etc. Uh, become one with the true vine. Become a branch, a fruit-bearing branch of the true vine. So John says he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and bound him for a thousand years. Those of us who believe in premillennialism, we believe that there will be a millennial kingdom, a literal thousand-year kingdom. Bound him for a thousand years, and he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. That's very important. Who's deceiving them? Why are the nations in such turmoil and trouble? Because Satan, through his very structured, very uh, ordered, very... Uh, demonically intelligent kingdom, Satan is deceiving the nations. Paul said in, in Philippians, uh, in Ephesians rather, 6, he talked about this very organized kingdom, principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness. Paul said in high places, very high places, higher than we could probably even imagine, high places. And Jesus himself said, because the, uh, his critics accused him of casting out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils, the lord of the flies. Jesus said that doesn't make any sense for Satan to cast out Satan. If Satan cast out Satan, 
how will his kingdom stand? So even Jesus acknowledged that Satan has a very organized and demonically intelligent kingdom. So it says here in Revelation 20, verse 3, he being the angel coming down from heaven, he threw Satan into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. That's why I was saying, I, that's why I was saying, saying, um, that when Satan is, is, is cast into the abyss it's 4,000 years for God's own, his own reason. I don't understand it. I want to know, you know, what, what, why not just be done with this, 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 this old serpent that, but that's me thinking I didn't create the universe. God did, but Satan will be cast into the abyss for a thousand years. And then he's going to be re be released again. The Bible says here for a short time. Then John says, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given unto them. That's Revelation 20 and 4. I saw the souls who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark of their on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's what we call the millennial kingdom. They reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. That's the resurrection that you want to be a part of. You want to be a part of the first resurrection. That's the resurrection of the just. John says, blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is, is he or she who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. You don't want to be part of the second death because if you're, if you're confined to the second death, that means you never did accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you'll be lost for eternity. So John said, blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you follow me, you'll live forever. In essence, Jesus was saying the second death will have no power over you. He said that to one of the churches, one of the seven churches in Revelation. He said, he who overcomes will not be hurt of the second death. So Jesus said the same thing to one of these churches way back in somewhere around chapters two and three. The second death will have no power over those who, who partake in the first resurrection, but they will be priests of God and of Christ. And here it is again, and will reign with him for a thousand years. So Satan has been defeated. He is defeated in our lives when we don't give place to him. Paul said, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust, its desires. So Satan was defeated at the cross, and that that defeat is is made a um, a practical reality in our lives when we don't obey Satan, when we obey the Lord Jesus Christ, when we obey God's word. Satan is defeated in our lives. 
But as far as in the universe, in the world, in this in this wicked cosmos, in this age that we live in, Satan is still, the Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air, the prince of this world, the God, lowercase g, O-D, the God of this world. So Satan still, he's, he's still deceiving the nations. I mean, just look, just look out, out your window. He's, he's still deceiving the nations, but that will come to, the, to an end one day. And then John goes on to say, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. I don't understand this, why God is going to allow Satan to be bound for a thousand years and then release him from his prison again. I don't understand it. But guess what? I have to accept it because I'm a, I'm a subject. I am a subject to my Lord, who is the Lord of the kingdom. I'm, I'm just a vassal in the, in the kingdom. I'm, I'm just a slave. I'm a slave in the kingdom. I don't tell the king what to do. You see, I, I follow orders. You know, we follow orders, right? Exactly. But he's going to let Satan out after the thousand years. He will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog to gather them together for war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. And the, this is Satan's final play right here. This is it. This is his final play. And the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil, or this is Satan's final play right here. Revelation 20 and 10. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. That's, that, that's, you know when the, a sporting event ends, you hear that buzzer go off, and the or the, you know the gun goes off or whatever. This is this is it right here. This is when the clock goes to 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 four zeros. No minutes, no seconds left. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. That was the unholy trinity during the time of the tribulation. There was the devil, the dragon, there was the, the, the beast, the Antichrist, 666 and all that, and there was the false prophet. That was the unholy trinity, like we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have the, the, the devil, symbolized by the dragon, if you go back to Revelation chapter 12, etc., Revelation 13. You have the dragon, which is the devil, Satan himself. You have the beast, the um the antichrist and then you had the false prophet the false prophet would be the fake holy spirit the beast would be the fake son the fake as as imitating jesus and then the and then satan the dragon would be the fake father if you will so the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever Here's the problem. The problem is anybody who does not accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, either during the church age or during the tribulation, because there will be people saved during, during the tribulation. Here's, here's the point of no return, as far as I can tell. The point of no return is, is, is when a person takes the mark of the beast. So if you're not a church saint, if you're not raptured with the church, because Jesus is coming back in the air for the church, if you're not a church saint, then you're going to have to be a tribulation saint. And the only way you can be a tribulation saint would be, of course, to accept Jesus during the tribulation. 
but you can't take the mark of the beast because anybody who takes the mark of the beast in their forehead or in their hands, there's no, there's no, you can't take the mark of the beast and be saved. It's, 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 it's all or it's, it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a all or nothing proposition. The point of no return is if you take the mark of the beast, according to Revelation, it's in, it's in the book of Revelation. If you take the mark of the beast, you're lost. You, you cannot be saved because what you have done is you have, it's like, it's like being uh, filled with the Holy Spirit for the Christian. If you take the mark of the beast, you have, you have, you have, you have, you have said Satan is your God. Satan is your father. There's no point there. You, you cannot take the mark of the beast and then get saved after that. It's impossible. All right. So Satan's final play, Revelation 20 and 10, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne. This is a judgment you don't want to be in because if you're in the great white throne judgment, that means you never did accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. Remember, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwells righteousness. We'll be there because we've trusted in Christ for our salvation. So what you don't want to be is you don't want to be at this great white throne judgment. Because the people at the great white throne judgment are unbelievers. And the Bible says, and I saw the dead. This is John again. I saw the dead, the great and the small. God is no respecter of persons. He didn't let the rich people, you know, catch a break. And, and uh, you know, if you were my golf buddy, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, all the dead in the sea from all the ships that have sunken during wars and the Titanic and all. The sea gave up the dead. See, there is no annihilation. There, there's a theory called the annihilation theory. Matter of fact, I work with a man who believes in the annihilation theory. He believes once, you're di once you die, that's it. Once you die, that's it. Of course, an atheist would also believe that, or at least proclaim to believe that, that once you're dead, that's it. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, which the Bible does teach ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But the Bible doesn't teach that. Um, the Bible does not teach the annihilation theory. The Bible teaches that you have a soul, you have a spirit that will always reside somewhere, either in the presence of God or outside of the presence of God. In, in in hell or in, in, the, in the final judgment in the lake of fire. So those who are, matter of fact, some people get cremated because they think if they get cremated that they'll escape the judgment of God. That, 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 that Nothing could be further from the truth because you're cremating a body. You're not cremating a soul or a spirit. The soul and the spirit are no longer in the body. Go ahead and cremate the body. I mean, I personally don't believe in cremation, but if you want to or have to because of, you know, you can't be publicly buried because of a pandemic or whatever. If you're going to cremate the body, that's fine. But cremation does nothing to affect God because God is spirit. He's all powerful. Nothing escapes God. So those who believe in the annihilation theory, they're being deceived by Satan. John says, I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened. 
and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades. Remember at the beginning of Revelation in chapter 1, Jesus said, I am he who was dead and I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death and Hades. I have the keys. I have the authority. I have the power. I have power over the grave. I have power. Jesus was saying all power is in my hands. He said after his resurrection, all power, not black power. It's certainly not white power. All power is in my hands in heaven and earth. Jesus has the keys of death and Hades. He can let you out. He can unlock. Remember, he unlocked the grave with Lazarus. He just spoke the word. Lazarus, come forth. Jesus didn't have to talk to the funeral director, the embalming society. He didn't, he didn't need anybody's permission except the father's, of course. Lazarus, come forth. And when he comes to raise us from the dead, the Bible says the Lord himself, he's not going to send Moses or Elijah or Enoch or Jeremiah or Isaiah, Ezekiel or Daniel. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, a command, some Bibles will call it a command, a great command. The Lord himself shall, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. The trump of God. And that trump I trust. Glory to God. The trump of God. And the dead in Christ. This is the resurrection of the church saints. The dead in Christ will rise first. The church saints. Then Paul said, we who are alive and remain. So Paul was thinking it might happen in his day. He didn't say you who are alive and remain. He said we who are alive and remain. So Paul was thinking because the, because the Lord has not told anybody, any of his apostles, his prophets, he, he has not told anyone when he will return. He said nobody knows. Paul said we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. We are to comfort one another with these words. So, so John says here, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's the death you don't want to be a part of because that, that second death, that's eternal death. That's eternal separation from God. And eternity is a very long time. It never ends. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The Bible says it's a lake of fire. I have to believe it's a lake of fire. I, I can't rationalize it away. I can't uh, spiritualize it, uh, you know, metaphys metaphysicize it. That's probably not even a word. I can't metaphysicize it away. The Bible says it's a lake of fire. I just have to assume it's a lake of fire. That's all I can do. But going back to the original point, we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when we sincerely believe that Satan was defeated at the cross, but we must realize that defeat has not yet played itself out yet completely because the Bible still calls Satan the God of this world, lowercase g-o-d. The Bible still calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. Paul said that to the Ephesians, the prince of the power of the air. The Bible still says that the world, this age, this cosmos, if you will, is is controlled by the is in the grip. Again, look out your window. Look look at look all around you. Look at the world around you. Look at the things that happen. Murder and mayhem. 
the world is in the grip of the evil one. And the only way you can escape that grip is by saying, Lord, I trust in you for my eternal salvation. I believe that you died at the cross, at Calvary's cruel cross, for my sins. And I believe that God bodily raised you from the dead. Once you make that decision, you begin to follow Jesus, then Satan's grip on you is loosened. And now how much that grip is going to be loosened for eternity is going to be largely, to a certain extent, up to you. Because the Bible tells us that we have a, we have a responsibility. The Bible says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And always be ready to give an answer um, for why you have this hope in you, right? So we have a responsibility. Sanctification is a is a um, it's a partnership between us and God. Yes, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us at conversion, but sanctification is also an ongoing, a progressive process, and we have to play a part in it. If if we say we love Jesus and we know Jesus, but we never partake in doing the things that we need to do to um, be sanctified, to be separated unto the gospel, to be separated from evil. If we don't do those things, then Satan will continue to have a grip over us. I like to use the analogy when I used to drive for Uber. Uh, when you drive for Uber or Lyft, you, you have to take the customer wherever they want to go. You, you can't be all morally indignant and self-righteous. Well, you know, I'm, I don't take, I'm not going to take you to the strip club or I'm not going to take you to the mafia meeting or I'm not going to take you, you know, to the brothel, the, the, the whole house, the whore house, the, the house of irrepute. You take the customer where you're going to take the customer and you drop the customer off and then you keep moving to your next pickup and drop off. All right. But now suppose I, there were times I would take customers to, to the strip club uh, here in the Atlanta area. Um, 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 the Pink Pony was a very popular one that I would have to take customers to, you know, young, young, young men, old men, Young women, middle-aged women, the pink pony, somewhere in DeKalb County. I don't even remember. But now suppose after suppose that I took somebody to the to the pink in the process of taking of taking somebody to the pink pony, I parked my car and then I got out and went in and said I'm going to go in there and, and look at some of these strippers and maybe throw a little bit of money at them and see now now I'm partaking of that lewdness that the bible calls that lewdness that outward expression of immorality so now here 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 instead of doing my job and dropping the customers off at the pink pony or magic city or twin peaks or you know any of the any of the many um strip clubs in the atlanta area i park my car then i get out and i go in and i begin to gaze upon these women uh, performing their lewd acts you know sliding down the pole etc and then I pull out some money and throw at him or I pay for a lap dance or whatever the case may be. Now I'm partaking of that evil. You see that I, I am I am to be sanctified in the Lord. So if I if I just drop off the customer and keep moving to my next pickup and drop off, I have I have I have remained. I have I have fulfilled the obligation to be sanctified under the Lord. But if I get out and go in and sit there and fantasize about some beautiful woman or, you know, nearly beautiful woman sliding down a pole. Now I have, I have violated the, the, the code of sanctification, if you will. All right. So that was revelation chapter 20. Okay. So let's see. I lost my place here. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay. So that defeat has not been totally manifested until Satan is forever banished to the eternal lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20. All right. Now, at the end of each of the Gospels, 
Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20 and 21, it talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to read all four of those chapters. That would be too time consuming. I'm going to ask you to read those on your own. At the end of the four chapters of the gospel, of each, of each gospel, not just two, there are some things that are mentioned in three of the four gospels. For example, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have parables. John has no parables. Matthew, Mark, and Luke has um, what you call the um, Olivet Discourse, where Jesus talks about the last days um, 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 uh, that in, you know, leading up to the times of the, or the last days that lead up to the tribulation. It's in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. John, John doesn't have the Olivet Discourse at all. So there are some things that are in three Gospels, but not in the fourth Gospel. There, there might be some things in two Gospels, but not in the other two. But the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, I bet my last dollar, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus are in all four Gospels. All four Gospels. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20 and 21. So these, these four Gospels talk about the resurrection of Jesus. The crucifixion of Jesus obviously would be in the chapters that precede those chapters. All right. But here's my point. My point is that it is the resurrection of Jesus. The victory over the grave, the victory over death. It is death that Satan uh, um, tries to use um, as a as a as a as a, um, um, a scare tactic. I guess I, I wish I had a better expression. It is death. The, the, the Bible says Jesus came to deliver us from the fear of death. You see that, but I fear death. I don't fear death anymore because now I I know, you know. The songwriter said it's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die because I don't know what's up there beyond the sky. But I don't I don't I don't I don't fear what's beyond the sky because I know that to be absent from absent from the body, is is to be present with the Lord. I know that if I die today or two two weeks from now or a year from now or ten or eighteen years from now thirty years from now, I know that I will be immediately not my body, I know that my spirit, my soul, would be immediately transported into the presence of the Lord. And then when the Lord comes back for the saints, when he comes back for the church, he will bring my spirit, my soul, back with him and, and, and reunite my spirit, my soul, with a, and with a resurrection body. Not with this body here. He's, he's, no. But with a resurrection body. The, the, the corruptible shall put on incorruption. The mortal shall put on immortality. Then is brought to, to, to pass the saying that is written, it's in the Old Testament, death is swallowed up in victory, right? Oh, oh death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your sting? Of course, I'm misquoting it, right? That is when we achieve our ultimate victory, when we are raised from the dead in an incorruptible body. So Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20 and 21. There, there are two chapters in John that deal with Jesus' resurrection. Chapter 20 and then chapter 21 shows when he restores Peter and he gives the commands, etc. 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 Alright, so I'm not going to read those chapters to you. Obviously that would take too long. But I will say this. I do want to I, I spend a few minutes in Colossians chapter 1 and chapters 1 and 2 because Colossians chapters 1 and 2 they both talk about this victory. They both talk about this victory that we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So I'm going to go to Colossians chapter 1. 
again, we have the victory over Satan through Jesus Christ. And we, we cannot grow in grace. We cannot be mature Christians if we don't believe that. If we still think that Satan has the victory over us or still has a grip over us, then we have not realized, we have not completely um, 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 ingested what the Lord did for us on the cross. Satan has no victory over me unless I give it to him. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. John said in this very first epistle, John said, uh, according to the word of God, if you walk in the word of God, J John said, you can't sin. So anytime I obey God's word, I cannot sin. It's only when I get out of the will of God's word that I sin. So uh, I use the analogy again of, of dropping the customers off at the strip club. Well, now, if I just pull off, I, I didn't sin. I obeyed God's word. But if I park and get out and go in there and gaze at the woman and, and, and pay $300 for a lap dance or whatever. Now I've gotten outside of the realm of God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. I've sinned. So listen to what Paul says to the Colossian Christians. It's in Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 12. Paul says, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet. That's a King James word that means like worthy. Has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We are partakers of the inheritance of the saints. Listen to this, in light. We were in darkness. We're no longer in darkness because, of, because we've trusted in what Christ did on the cross. And the fact that he has raised, and, and the fact that God raised him from the dead. And he said himself, he said, I'm the light of the world. Let me, hold on for a second. I'm, I'm going to go close this door because somebody opened it. There's, there's a lot of noise here. All right, there was a TV kind of loud in that other room. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not walk in, you will not, not you might not. He said, you will not walk in darkness. You will have the light of life. So if you, again, I, I was talking uh, earlier in, in our previous session, always find scriptures that can help interpret scripture. Scripture interprets scripture. Never, never just depend on one verse for something that you believe. If you can only find one verse in the Bible, if you can only find one verse in the Bible to support your belief, it's probably a faulty interpretation. It's, prob it's probably not true. Because there's a rule in the Bible that says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every truth is established. So if you believe, and I, I gave kind of a silly example last week, I'll give it again. I'll give it again. If you believe that Jesus wore purple bell bottoms on the day before he was crucified and you can't find any scriptures or you can only find one scripture to back that up, you're probably wrong. You always want to find at least two, but, but more than two is even better. Three, 13, 28, 68, 60, 55. You want to find as much scriptural proof that fortifies your position. So if you take John 8 and 12, where Jesus had just forgiven the woman in adultery, if you take John 8 and 12, where Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. You'll have the light of life. If you couple that with, with Colossians 1, 12, giving thanks unto the Father who has made us worthy to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And then if you couple that with the scripture Many scriptures, but there's one in Isaiah. I believe it's Isaiah 9, 
uh, it was said that 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 the Savior, the Messiah, would be a light unto the Gentiles. So that that concept of light. Matter of fact, if you read John's Gospel, the idea of light and darkness is it's, it's the prominent, it's the predominant theme in John's Gospel. Uh, uh, he came into his world, his, and he came into his own. His own received him not. Uh, he came as a light, and but but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So if you notice, all of these scriptures go together. That God is light. John said in his first epistle, in the first chapter, God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. You see that? So all those scriptures. So what you want to do as you study God's word, and 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 in, if you are preparing to teach God's word, you want to always have as much ammunition as possible. Because you want to be able to defend the fort, so to speak. You want to. It's better to have twenty-eight guns than one. If you got twenty-eight guns, then you can fend off, you know, any any uh, attacks or whatever. So he says in in the twelfth verse, he says, "Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light." Paul said, "We were at one time darkness, but now we are the children of light." I believe he said that in Ephesians somewhere. But notice the 13th verse, which is the main one I wanted to get to. Paul says that he has delivered us from the power. Here it is. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has delivered us. If you're saved, you know this scripture is true. He has delivered us from the. You remember darkness had a grip on you. You remember. Of course you remember. Darkness had a grip on you. It had a grip on me. It had a grip on Paul when he was Saul. He was going around persecuting the church. He was there when they murdered Stephen, Deacon Stephen. Paul was there. The Bible says they, they threw their clothes. Clothes were pro probably very bloody because they stoned Stephen. So their clothes were probably had Stephen's DNA all over it, all over their clothes. They put their clothes at Saul's feet. So he was in, in, in a court of law, he would have to go to jail because he was a, a, an accomplice to murder. He may not have thrown any of the rocks himself, but he was there and they put their clothes at his feet. He was an accomplice to murder. So he was in the grip of darkness. He was self-righteous. He thought he was doing the will of God by trying to stamp out this, this, this new thing called Christianity, this new thing called the church. And then Jesus Going back to the concept of light again, Paul was on the road to Damascus with letters to the chief priests, again, persecuting the church. And Jesus, you know, had to put a stop to this foolishness. <laughs> Jesus said, put a stop to this foolishness. He, not, he, he blinded Paul. How did he blind him? With a flash night? No, with his Shekinah glory. The Bible says Paul, it was like, a, a, he, he blinded him. Read Acts chapter 9. And, and, and blinded him to the point that Paul was blind. He's blind for three days. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus said, I'm going to put a stop to this foolishness. Why are you persecuting me? Paul said, who are you, Lord? Now, whether he, now Lord here could have been lowercase Lord, lowercase L, as in Lord, you know, who are you? Or it could have been uppercase L, as in he, him recognizing that, that it's uh, the Lord Jesus. But it, it's probably lowercase L. Who are you, Lord, as in one over me? And he says, and then Jesus identifies himself. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You're killing my people, so you're persecuting me because they are the, the body of Christ. Remember I told you that if I send my children, 
and you and you insult my children and kill them, you've insulted me, their father, right? So when so when Paul, as Saul, was killing Christians and and partaking in the the killing of Christians, uh, he was he was persecuting the body of Christ. So Jesus, the head of the church, the head of the body, said, um, "I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against um, against the prick." The King James says. That just means he, it's like when an animal, you're trying to get the animal to go a certain way, and the animal is kicking against uh, against the, uh, the ox gold, right? And Jesus said, it's hard for you to kick against the prick, all right? And then that's when Paul submitted to the light. He was in darkness. He submitted to the light. So Paul was, was well able to write about the concept of light and darkness, darkness and light, because he had been called out of darkness himself into the marvelous light of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting, right? It's hard for you to kick against the prick. And then, you know, Jesus, uh, from that time, Paul submitted, and it, Jesus sent a man named Ananias to lay hands on Paul, saw at that time, and the Bible says scales fell from his eyes. He received food because he had been fasting for three days, no, no, no food, nothing, and he, and he received strength. And then he went and became part of the brethren. And the Bible says, and straightway he preached Jesus Christ in the synagogues, the Jewish house of worship, that he's the son of God. So Paul was well worthy to say in Colossians 1 and 13 that Jesus has delivered us from the power of, or it's the father here. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Watch this. And he has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So even though Satan is still the prince of this world, Satan is still ruling and that rule will come to an end one day. We don't know when that one day is. Even though Satan is still the prince of the air, the prince of the power of the air, even though Satan, the Bible says again in 1 John, even though Satan still has a grip, the Bible says the world is lying in the grip of the wicked one. Those of us who know Jesus, I mean, really know him. I'm talking about those of us who've been born again. The Bible says in Colossians 1 and 13, we've been delivered from the power of darkness. And now that's very significant. We're not talking about a traffic ticket here. The power of darkness is a very, very, very powerful power, if you will. The power of, we've been delivered from the power of the wicked one. I'm going to show you, if I don't forget to show it to you before I close in a few minutes, there's a scripture I want to show you in, um, I think it's in uh, Second Tim it's in First Timothy, I believe. And it's gonna, um, it, it, it kind of brings out how powerful this, this satanic power of darkness is. And for us to be delivered from that power, it had to be something supernatural. It had to be something more powerful, obviously, than Satan, because if, if something is powerful, only something more powerful can break the grip of that which is powerful. So for us to be delivered from the things that we were delivered from, which is satanic power, it had to be something immensely more powerful. And that immense, and that, 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 that immense power is the power of God, the power of the cross, the power of the resurrection of Jesus, the power of God to deliver us Paul says again in Colossians 1 and 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. The Christian is no longer walking in darkness. He has translated us. I love, I love the way the King James states it. Some other translations 
I don't I don't care for. He has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He has translated us. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Remember the darkness you were in. You were in darkness. I was in darkness. We were in the grip of the wicked one. We were born in sin. Everybody's born in sin. But then when we choose certain lifestyles, that only exacerbates the fact that we were born in sin. See, when we choose to do certain things, right? When we choose to go off into witchcraft and we choose to go off into sexual perversion, whether heterosexual or homosexual, when we choose to go off into sexual perversions, when we choose to do these things, that only magnifies or, 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 or demonstrates the fact that we were born in sin. If you notice, you never have to teach a child, you don't have to teach a child to do wrong. You have to teach a child to do right because the child, the Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him because the child is born with that, with that sin, that stain of sin in his or her soul. And so the child is, the child's going to do wrong and we have to steer the child in the right direction. Children have to be taught not to be selfish because being selfish is part of our sinful nature. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. If darkness still has a grip in your life, then you have to say, well, why does, why, does, why does darkness still have a grip over me? If I believe in Jesus, why does darkness still have? It's, it, it would have to be if you truly believe in Jesus and darkness still has a grip over you, it would have to be because there's a lack of submission of your will. Because even though we are Christians, we still have a will. And I use the old analogy of when I was traveling to Louisiana some years ago, there were a lot of trees that were bent in the direction that the hurricane, you know, hurricanes rotate counterclockwise. And Hurricane Katrina had bent a lot of the trees in Alabama and Mississippi. They didn't, the trees weren't broken, although I'm sure many of them were in other places. These trees weren't broken. They were bent in the direction of the hurricane. Well, even though we are Christians, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to bend our will. We have to be like Jesus, not as my will, Lord. I don't want to do such and such, or I do want to do such and such, whichever the case may be, but not as my, but not my will, Lord. Not my will, because my will is sinful. My will is, is, is Adamic. My will is based on Adam and Eve, right, who did not submit to the will of God, but submitted to the will of Satan. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. So the fact that you've been delivered from the power of darkness, that's the most powerful, um, that's the most powerful statement that can be made concerning us. We were in the grip of darkness and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? It says, it says he who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, which is the father, because the previous verse says giving thanks to the father. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us. And I'm not looking at the Greek right now. But I'm sure, but I'm sure that Greek word would mean like to take from one place to another place, right? Translated, transported, right? He has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood. It was the blood of Jesus Christ shed at Calvary's cruel cross that made all this possible. This is not possible by transcendental meditation. This is not possible, this, this translation from the power of darkness, the grip of Satan, 
the 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 uh, worship of Satan. Even though you may not have you know actively you know hail Satan like that serial killer years ago, Richard Ramirez out in California. You know he would he would he would be in the courtroom after he was caught from uh, uh, the killing people. He was a serial killer, and during his trial, as he was as, as he would walk out of the courtroom, he would say, "Hail Satan." See, he was an he was an active devil worshiper. And then you have the Church of Satan. You have a satanic Bible. But even though we may not have been part of that, the fact that we were in the grip of the wicked one, Ephesians chapter two, verse one, you have he quickened, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the spirit of darkness, according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan, right? The spirit that even now, Paul said, the spirit that even now works in the children of disobedience, right? We're in time past, we all had our lifestyle. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh, watch this, and of the mind. And we were by nature. You see that? We were by nature. We were born in sin. We were naughty by nature. We were by nature, the Bible says, we were by nature the children of wrath. But God, Ephesians 2 and 4, that's our salvation, right? But God, but God, hallelujah, hallelujah, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, right? He saved us. And that's where, that's where that leads into the scriptures about, for by grace you are saved, right? God's riches at Christ's expense, right? For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. Let me look at Colossians 2 and 14 and 15. And I'm gonna try to remember that Timothy passage before I close. Paul says in, in the same epistle to the Colossian Christians, the problem with the Colossian church was because, you know, Paul didn't write and the, these, um, these apostles didn't write these epistles because they didn't have anything else to do and they had some time to kill. They would normally write these epistles to address problems and questions, but, but, but more often than not problems in the churches because these were new churches, new Christians. So you're going to have problems, right? You're going to have questions. Issues that have to be dealt with. And remember, Satan was always fighting against the churches, both through the Jews in opposition religion and the Roman government. So the Christians had to deal both with the Jews in opposition religion to the point that Jesus called the unbelieving Jews. He called them the synagogue of Satan. And then they also had to deal with the Roman government because the Roman government said Caesar was God. And now you got this ragtag uh, band of men who come along and say, no, Jesus, that man y'all put on the cross X amount of weeks ago, X amount of years ago. G no, that, that man y'all put on that cross, he's God. And then people look at them like, you got to be crazy. Caesar is God. We got to pinch incense to Caesar. And the apostles and, and many of the, of the followers of Jesus and the followers of Jesus said, no, Caesar is not Lord. That man, that rabbi, that itinerant rabbi, that Jewish man that y'all put on, that, that, that carpenter's son that y'all put on the cross, he's God. We're going to bow to him. And they were looking at him like, you must be crazy. And if you don't change your mind about that and pinch, a, and pinch some incense to Caesar, and if you don't pinch some incense to Caesar, we're going to have some problems. See those crosses out there on that road, on the Appian Way? See those crosses out there? If you don't pinch some incense to Caesar, if you don't pinch some incense to Caesar, we're going to put you on one of those crosses and it's going to hurt. 
<laughs> remember when they remember when they would put somebody on the cross, they would break their legs before they died. Remember they they broke the legs of the men on the crosses, and when they came to break Jesus' leg, I, my son here wants to. You want to preach, Eli? Uh -uh. And then they they came to break. Then they came to break Jesus. I didn't want you to knock that over. They came to break Jesus' leg and he was already dead, which fulfilled the prophecy. Not a bone of the Lamb of God shall be broken. So it was it was it was something to to have to be able to stand up against the Jewish authorities, the religious authorities, and also the, the, the government, the civil authority, the Roman government. So he says in Colossian and, and the problem with the Colossian church, long story short, was philosophies had crept crept into the church. Greek philosophies that denied who Jesus is. So Paul had to deal with that issue. That's why you'll see Paul say to the Colossian Christians, he said, don't be spoiled by philosophy. The worshiping of angels. There was a philosophy, you know, the Jews highly reverenced angels. The worshiping of angels and Greek and Roman philosophies. These things came in to undermine the glory and the majesty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he says in Colossians, he says, uh, you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has quickened. He said the same thing to the Ephesians, right? He has quickened, made alive, right? Together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. Watch this. He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Everything that was against us, the handwriting of ordinances, whether the law of Moses, which is probably what he's talking about here, or any ordinance, Jesus nailed them to the cross. That's why people today still trying to be legalistic, talking about you got to keep the law of Moses and you got to, you know, Jesus nailed those things to the cross. But notice verse 14. Notice verse 15. Having spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly. That's why I told you that Jesus defeated the devil at the cross. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over, triumphing over them in it. Jesus defeated principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. He defeated them at the cross. Spiritual wickedness, Paul said in high places. When you read the book of Revelation, there's a lot of symbolism. But the satanic powers that are going to be destroyed are, are, are spoken of as stars falling to the earth. It, the, the Greek word for star is where we get the word asteroid, uh, astera. But the book of Revelation talks about stars that fall to the earth. In some cases, it may be talking about like a meteor or something like that in, in some of the cataclysms of the book of revelation but in other cases when it's I, I was reading revelation chapter 9 um earlier today uh before this i got up early this morning because i was trying to compare revelation 9 with revelation chapter 20 and there's a passage in revelation 9 i'm just going to read that little part to you and it's it, it talks about an, an angel it talks about a star that fell to the earth but it said to that star was given the key to the bottomless pit. So that's not a star as in a meteor or a comet. It says, then the fifth angel sounded. So it's not a heavenly angel. Because if it were a heavenly angel, as, as is consistent with the book of Revelation, it would have said an angel. 
right? This angel, that angel, that angel, this angel. It says, then the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star from heaven. And if you look up the Greek word for star, it's astera, where we get the word asteroid, right? I saw a star from heaven, which had fallen to the earth. Do you see that? 